Welcome back to Everything is Public Health, where once a week we talk about one small piece of the big, wonderful world of public health and share it with you all, our listeners. I'm MJ. And I'm Cass. Do you remember D.A.R.E.? I do remember D.A.R.E. Did you get D.A.R.E. or no? I didn't I did. get D.A.R.E. Oh, I got a full week of D.A.R.E. when oh, I was a tell, kid. Tell. I had a D.A.R.E. t-shirt. We had like we were the full shebang of D.A.R.E. Did you buy it? Like, why did you have the t-shirt? Were you like repping dare as a kid? I mean, it was a really comfortable t-shirt. Oh, I see. <laughs> and I played a lot of sports. So I needed like shirts that I didn't care all that much about that I could like go to practice Sweat in. in. Yeah. But dare was, was interesting. I must, let me think about when this was. I was probably in fifth grade, maybe sixth grade. So I was like 10, 11, 12 at the max. Uh-huh. And I, I knew about some things because watching shit like there were a, a lot of things that were able to be on TV in the 80s and 90s that are not on TV. Yeah, now. surprisingly um, so. Yeah. I think about some of the like PG or PG 13 movies I watched as a kid and then mm-hmm. thinking about my kids watching them. I'm like, holy yeah. crap. Okay. So I knew about some stuff. I had some older siblings who occasionally got into, you know, a little bit of rapscallionism. Okay. Um, That's a good way of putting it. <laughs> But I learned about all sorts of things that I never would have been exposed to uh, through the D.A.R.E. program. And uh, it was maybe not, (laughs) maybe did not achieve its aims as intended. We should probably explain what D.A.R.E. is. I'm sure a lot of our listeners already know, but we should probably explain what D.A.R.E. is. Right. So D.A.R.E. stands for Drug Drug Awareness and Resistance Education. Drug Abuse. I just looked up Drug Abuse Resistance Education, which is even worse. Oh, wow. Okay. Wow, I really thought it was for... Did they change the name? I mean, I looked it up and it says drug abuse resistance education. So maybe they okay. after a while they changed it. No, I don't know. I could totally be wrong. You know... That's what Google says. Names yeah. are not a great life skill of mine. <laughs> As we know. So I, I could have misremembered. Anyway, it basically it's about getting kids to not do drugs. In a very weird way. Drugs are bad. <laughs> whatever, blah, blah, blah. But in order to do that, they use sometimes <laughs> kind of scare tactics. Like, you know, these are the terrible things that can happen when you take these drugs. But in order to tell you what happens when you take drugs, they have to also teach you <laughs> or expose you to all of these other drugs that are around that maybe 11 and 12 year olds in suburban Washington state were not exposed to at the time. Would you say that prior to D.A.R.E. you knew very little about drugs? Well, not very little. I mean, I knew not a lot. I mean, like, don't, don't, don't get me wrong. You know the basics. But like, right? I knew, I knew some of the, and again, there was a lot of stuff on TV at the time. Yes. That course. maybe that had something to do with it, that they were thinking these kids are seeing stuff. Like literally everybody smoked. Like there was sure, never a TV show where yeah. people didn't smoke, which now you like almost never see that. Yeah. So I didn't know nothing. I certainly, I would say in the spectrum of things that I could have known at the time, it was probably like 5% before I started D.A.R.E. Yeah. And then after going through D.A.R.E., I probably was at like upwards of 15 to 20%. Okay. You definitely got a lot of things. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking like the entire spectrum of like medical and health related things. Like I've got a thinking about knowledge of drugs in and of themselves. 
I probably had like a 75% increase in knowledge. Just from there, from a program that is trying to get you to not do drugs. Just from there. <laughs> like I learned about drugs that I had no idea even existed so that I could learn how to like not take them. So I actually didn't get the full dare experience. I think by the time I rolled around, people knew that dare was not just problematic, but also kind of weird because they also get cops to do these things. Yes. Which is another hallmark of dare. And it's just weird to have a cop in full uniform come in and tell you. So I didn't get the full dare experience, which I have been informed is a whole trip if you have gone through it. But I did get the standard like drug lecture as a part of the health class in high school. I forgot what it's called. There's like a term for that. It's like, it's also where you get sex ed. It's like, you know, the the class where all the miscellaneous health stuff education happens. And it was better than dare. It was less scare tactics, but it was still very much drugs are bad. Don't do drugs, etc. And I realized that my conception of what drugs are, were, are, were. What drugs are. Right. <laughs> and I realized what my conception of what drugs are was frozen at that point in time. And I think this is the case for a lot of people where after they get their drug education, that's what they think their conception just got stuck or solidified at that point in time. Well, I think as you were talking, I was just reflecting on because I got sex education around the same time, which you've talked about previously, I think early in, in season one. But some of the same tactics that they used in sex education, they used in D.A.R.E., which was let me show you the worst yes, possible terrible thing that could happen. Like, I mean, textbooks that we're looking at with genital warts and all sorts of terrible, awful things. And then that same kind of tactic applied with drugs, which was, it was very stigmatizing. It is, yeah. And it was very much, you need to be strong enough to not ever try these drugs. Yeah. And if you do, you're basically weak-willed and there's something wrong with you. Meaning, it was never said, hey, people sometimes make bad choices and try things that they shouldn't, or sometimes, you know, whatever, things happen. And if you find yourself in a place where, you know, you don't want to be using drugs and you are, then you need to seek help. And here are some supportive ways that you can get help. That was never, it was just abstinence. Don't do drugs. Yeah. Just don't do them. Drugs are bad, okay? Yes. And they never talk about solutions. They never talk about, they're just like, oh, like bad people do drugs. And then they don't talk about like what people can do. Like if they want to stop doing drugs, They that part was like never mentioned. It was just like, don't do drugs. Also, they never talked about alcohol as a drug. Yes. Surprisingly, Never. it was just like, like alcohol just didn't, at least when I took it, alcohol was not involved in the D.A.R.E. program. Yeah. For me, it was a very small paragraph. I mean, they talked about it because they realized they have to, but, but it was a very small paragraph and they they didn't talk about cigarettes because at that point, I think cigarettes were phasing out already. But, and oh, oh, I remember at that point, they were very scared of marijuana. It was, uh, I don't know if... Uh, for you but just reflecting on that evolution of how oh yeah the electric yes. lettuce <laughs> that's what you got i i got there's some really funny names that they try to say like, this is what the street name for marijuana is and they would show us a bunch oh, yeah. of street names i was like great idea teach teach 12 year olds the street names the for drugs molly yeah mary jane but anyway so so today i thought it would be a good idea to lay some groundwork for understanding drugs and addiction first i think this is very important is the language that has evolved significantly over the last few decades 
Right now, we call this substance use disorder, abbreviated SUD, sometimes in text because it's very hard to write out all that three words. What did they used to be called in the dare decades? Oh, we'd use things like a, a drug addict, uh-huh. crack addict. Druggies. There are a lot of disparaging, yeah, druggies, you know, all sorts of things. And the way we talked about the people who use drugs, which is the mm-hmm. term that we use person now, first person language. first language, people who use drugs or people who have substance use disorders, whichever the context might be, like you are intentionally stigmatizing those people, which is the message that I got in DARE. Like bad people use drugs, don't use drugs. Otherwise you're bad, right? Right. And I mean, this is, we're not going to get too much into this, but the words that we use do matter, right? Focusing on person first language, emphasize that this is something that happens to them. Like they are first and foremost a person and that they are in this situation and we don't know why they're in this situation, but they're first and foremost a person rather than you are defined by the choices that you make, right? Right. And some of these words get conflated. Yes. Right. So some people will say, oh, you use drugs, therefore you must be an addict or you drink alcohol, therefore, so you must yeah. be an addict, which is there's a difference between substance use, substance misuse or abuse and addiction. Yes. Right. Those are all separate things but when we sort of throw them around willy-nilly it gives mixed messages yes so just to trace that evolution so we went from drug user or all the disparaging slangs right drug users druggies and then it became drug addict or you have a drug addiction and then we sort of realized that drug is a very weird word because like medicine is technically a drug so we switched it to substance so for the longest time, it was substance abuse and substance abuse disorder. And then uh, we realized that abuse is also kind of a negative word. So we, we went from substance abuse to substance use disorder. And usually now when we say abuse, we use the word misuse because a lot of times we recognize that prescription drugs can be very readily misused. And they're not exactly using the word abuse doesn't capture prescription drugs as well as when you say the, when you use the word misuse. So that's sort of the evolution of the language. And you mentioned this, and this is very important, that they all mean different things. And it's very important that we define how those different things are. So do you want to start with substance use disorder? Sure. So when we're thinking about a substance use disorder, this is a mental disorder that affects a person's brain and behavior, leading to a person's inability to control their use of substances. Yes. And I think a key part is it affects their brain and behavior. A lot of people don't recognize that this is like a chronic condition and this is like a mental health issue. This is not just, I'm using drugs, right? I don't know how, what's a better way? Well, it's like having asthma, Yeah. right? So I have asthma. I will always have asthma. There is a change in my body that means I have asthma. And so I need my inhaler. I need to make different behavioral changes. Like I can't go running when it's really cold outside. Yes. I'll fall over. <laughs> but so there is something like my physical self is different. It's changed. And a substance use disorder, it can affect the brain and it can affect the behavior such that it becomes a chronic thing that you're dealing with forever. Yes. And uh, there are treatments. Or, you know, not necessarily forever. Right. (laughs) For a long term. It becomes a long term condition. And just like asthma, there are treatments and people, something that you can get under control, there's something that you can get treated for with enough support and with enough resources. Now, another thing that's also important to define is addiction, right? Addiction, this is from, I believe, the American Psychology Association uh, at the APA, a state of psychological or physical dependence or both on the use of alcohol or other substances, right? I mean, similar message with substance use disorder, like addiction is a psychological thing. It's not just... I'm choosing to do this and I, I there's a moral failing in me that I can't stop. No, there's something that changed in your brain neurologically and psychologically that 
drives your behavior. It's not just like a I'm a bad person, that sort of thing. And all of this sort of, I mean, we're not going to get into the neuroscience part too much, but all of this sort of hinge on the the reward circuit in the brain, which I'm not going to get into because it's very, very fancy, very colorful terms and very fancy like science that I, I don't fully know. But it's the reward circuit of the brain. It's basically your brain's way of enforcing certain behaviors. And this is a myth, the first myth that we'll bust today. The reward circuit is not necessarily about feeling good. So a lot of people think that, oh, addiction is like when you take cocaine and it gives you euphoria and that's why you get addicted. But a reward circuit rewards behavior. So for example, you could take something like Adderall and then you can take Adderall and be like, oh, I took Adderall and I got a lot of work done, right? You didn't feel good, quote unquote, like high from Adderall, but because you got a lot of work done, your brain takes that as a reward and reinforces that behavior. So a reward circuit is not necessarily like I have to feel high in order for me to have this. This is how gambling addiction works. This is how... uh, food addiction or uh, there's many other addictions. I'm blanking on them. Well, and I I think your point about sort of the reward circuit in the brain, which we're not going to get into this and, and we'll probably talk about this in a future episode, but medications for opioid use disorder hit the reward circuit, but don't change how you feel like buprenorphine. Some of these medications, they bind to those receptors. They engage the brain, making it think that they got what it needed but it doesn't give you the the high it's not euphoria it's not like oh god i feel so good right now but it's your brain is saying this is a good thing and i would like to do this thing again but whatever that thing is could be anything could be food could be gambling could be anything really A, a lot of addiction work similarly neurologically speaking it's all about that reward circuit um so some statistics Another myth that I guess we can bust, but I didn't know this, but like these numbers actually surprised me because I was like such like a a straight arrow as a kid. I was like such a goody two shoe. I never even like thought about like trying things. And it wasn't until like college and grad school that I realized that, oh, like people, people try things. It just never occurred to me that people do, but it's surprisingly common drug use. Yeah, it is very common. Yeah. So some estimates are that just under 14% of the population over the age of 12 have used some kind of substance in the last month. And that jumps up to just over 21% of those age 12 and over when you look at the last year. Yeah. Oh, and this is a term that we talked about in a Public Health Explained episode, a lifetime prevalence, meaning that if you at some point have taken an illicit substance, you count. It doesn't matter where you're using it now or like 10 years ago, at some point did you use it? That number is 50%. Like 50% of Americans have at some point in their life uh, used uh, an illicit drug. And another important misconception when we're thinking about drug use, substance use, etc., People think, based on media and disparities in the criminal justice system, Mm -hmm. that there are differences in drug use and substance use across race and ethnicity. But actually, use rates are very similar. Yes. But because of where we concentrate our law enforcement activities, individuals who are from minoritized backgrounds are far more likely to be caught using or selling, despite no differences in actual use rates. And that leads to overrepresentation in the criminal legal system. Yeah. And I looked into this, like the reason why I don't have an actual number, because the numbers vary dramatically depending on what the context is. So are you talking about college students? Are you talking about what part of the country are you talking about? But the general trend is there that drug misuse rate is very similar across racial lines. 
obviously that number changes depending on what context you're in. So uh, the rest of this show, we're going to bust some misconceptions about substance use disorder that I think not only are dangerous for people to know, but also is dangerous that us as a society hold them almost because you're not giving the help that people need. Um, that was a poorly phrased sentence, but let's go ahead and, and charge on. <laughs> MJ can't no, MJ grammar. Can't grammar. Um, misconception number one, drug use or drug misuse refers to illegal drugs like heroin, cocaine, meth, PCPs, and MDNA. MA. What did I say? You said MDNA. MDMA, which I believe is ecstasy. Misuse refers to illegal drugs. That is not true. Like drug misuse can refer to any sort of substances. In the context of substance use disorder, substance misuse, prescription drugs. So we were still in an opioid epidemic. Um, that is a prescription drug. That is not technically illegal. I mean, it's illegal if you get it illegally but like the actual substance itself is not illegal it's a prescription drug and also adderall and xanax i don't know people like can misuse xanax yeah you can but apparently that's a thing i mean you can misuse almost anything depending on if you're not using it for the right contexts or you know you might be even something as like if i have a prescription and you are like, oh, I'm feeling this way. And I'm like, oh, here, you can take my prescription. It hasn't been prescribed to you. That's still misuse, right? Even though it's a, a prescribed. Oh, that happens a lot. Yeah. Not um, illegal substance. Yeah. And I think it's just a misconception that when we think of like drug use and or drug misuse, we think of these like classic, the usual suspects. But it's a problem that affects a lot more Americans than you think because prescription drugs are easily misused or legal substance like alcohol, technically legal, can very easily be misused and abused. Uh, sorry, misused. And addiction of all of them work very similarly, biologically speaking. We sort of talked about this before. And that's why it's important that we sort of drop this misconception of like, oh, it's only when we talk about drugs, it's only heroin or cocaine or meth, right? Like anything could be misused. Another misconception or myth is that you can quit using a substance or quit an addiction anytime uh, and you just need willpower. And this is wrong. We've talked about this previously in a bunch of contexts, but there is a biological component that makes it very difficult and sometimes even impractical to just quit cold turkey or just to rely on willpower alone, right? Also dangerous. We're ignoring the social and environmental contexts in which people find themselves when they're trying to maybe not use a substance and just saying, you know, have more willpower is really um, damaging. And and also it doesn't align with the data that we know about this physiological changes when someone has an addiction. Uh, medication we have mentioned is sometimes needed to help people who have substance use disorder. Mm-hmm. So medication assisted treatments often is, is what we think about it. But now the language is medication for opioid use disorder. So thinking about it being a longer term disorder, right? Recognizing the these changes. And another sort of piece in this addiction willpower myth is that people have to hit rock bottom before they can get help. And that can be dangerous because people might be left to just unfortunately get into very dangerous or or unsafe situations before people think, oh, you know, I want to intervene. But rather it takes people several tries sometimes to get the treatment that they need and making sure that people have those resources available at any point is really important. Yeah. I didn't know about the hit rock bottom myth until I did a little bit of research, but yeah, like why? Like don't you want to get them help as soon as possible? Why I don't I don't understand why that myth exists, but it, it does and it's a very dangerous well, myth. Well I think it's because we have seen examples of people who hit rock bottom and like that's the thing that motivates them 
to change their life. But usually this person has probably made attempts before and like there was just something different about this time that maybe they were more receptive or I I don't know. Yeah. But not everyone who is able to seek help and get treatment and engage in available resources has to hit rock bottom. And so if we say, you know, we're going to people have to hit rock bottom before they can change, then we're not meeting people where they are when they're ready to receive treatment. Exactly. And a little bit more about the medication-assisted treatment. Like We'll talk more about this in the opioids episode, but we talk about the reward circuit. Like Your brain chemistry has changed, right? If you suddenly cold turkey, it's not like your brain will just be like, oh, okay, I see what we're doing. Let me just adjust. Like It, it, doesn't, it doesn't work like. So sometimes you need medication to help people sort of slowly change their brain chemistry back to the normal levels. And I think people don't understand that withdrawal is very dangerous. Like withdrawal is not just like, oh, you feel really terrible. Like some levels of, you know, drug misuse and and addiction, like the withdrawal itself will kill you, right? It's not the substance that you're using. The withdrawal from not using a substance will kill you. And that's why it's important that we approach this not just from a willpower perspective, but also from like a medical perspective as well. Um, Next myth, uh, drug use or misuse or addiction is a choice slash moral failing. This is a very common theme that we have seen in dare and also in a lot of uh, drug or, or health classes well and it sort of goes in tandem with the the one sort of thinking about you have a failure as a person because you don't have enough willpower to be able to stop yeah and that's not we just there's a million reasons why people use drugs like we don't even know there's environmental there's social connections like I am convinced that a big reason why I didn't use drugs is because I was just not in the environment where drugs were available right? I don't know. Maybe I have. I'll never know whether if you put me in that environment, whether I will use drugs or not. But I know for a fact that the fact that I was not in that environment means I I just I just if you ask me, can you get cocaine? I'll be like, no, like, where would I even find cocaine? (laughs) I have no idea how to do that. Right. And also a lot of people, uh, there's a big um, correlation, I guess is the right word uh, with other mental illnesses. There's a million variables. We don't know at the end of the day why a particular person would be doing drugs. And I also want to try to bust the peer pressure myth because this is something that I think parents and dare like plays up a lot and it's just not true like no kid is like hey you want to do drugs hey you want to do drugs here come here and do drugs that's that's not peer pressure it's more like you were friends with a group of people and that group of people use drugs so to fit in you start it's not like there's no kid I wouldn't I I don't think it's you can accurately say no kid has ever said hey do you want to do drugs <laughs> that's true I guess I'm I can't sure say there, that there were kids who were selling drugs maybe for money or whatever and so they were saying hey do you want to do drugs but I think it is often not as obvious as hey do you want to do drugs it was probably more subtle and yes absolutely Absolutely. I've been in circumstances where other people were doing things, not necessarily drugs, but where other people were doing things that I maybe wasn't comfortable or didn't want to do. And I was, you know, these are my peers. This is my social circle. And so you sort of face, oh, am I going to make an awkward social interaction if I don't want to participate in this thing? Or like, what does this mean? And for kids that are listening, like real friends won't make you do a thing that you don't want to do. Just yes. as a side note. <laughs> a parental cast jumps in. But yeah, I think you hit it right. Like that's how peer pressure works is that your friends are doing something and you feel pressured. It's not peer pressure is not, hey, do you want to do drugs? Like that's it's not an accurate. It's like lemmings running off of a cliff, right? There's no lemming in the back saying, <laughs> go jump off this cliff. That's a great idea. Go jump off this cliff. Yeah. 
somebody starts going and then everybody just follows and, and then all like, these lemmings jump to. off the cliff. Yeah, that's my point. Like, I think media and dare gets peer pressure completely wrong. Like, that's not how peer pressure is. That's not how it manifests in the real world. But yeah, like, there's a million reasons why people use drugs. And there's a tons of website that talks about why people use drugs. But they're all from, like, recovery websites and, like, you know, support websites like that. I actually can't find any. You might know something different. I actually can't find any, like, official nationally representative surveys about, like, why people use drugs. I don't know, but I am certain that there are. It's not on the first page of Google. <laughs> That's I'm what I'm certain telling you. <laughs> that our colleagues yes. have research yeah. on this. I'm sure there is. I, it's not on the first page of Google. I was like, oh, these are all like blog posts and you know, resource like help pages that tells you like why people do drugs. I would love to see like a survey of like a nationally representative survey. That's like, I'm sure that exists. Yes. I went to Google Scholar and just typed in why people use drugs. And I mean, there are some papers here. Why do adolescents use drugs, age, sex, and user differences? I went to normal Google, which probably wasn't the best choice. No. Yeah, no. Why say no? Reasons reasons given by young people for not using drugs. Mm, interesting. Uh, yeah, there's... I should have thought of Google Scholar. That completely slipped my mind. Yeah, Google <laughs> Scholar. I almost never go to normal Google for like researchy Because you're a things. scholar, Cass. <laughs> <laughs> like regular Google can be great for finding things out, but... Like if you want to see what's been peer reviewed on the subject, Google Scholar is the way to go. You can also go to PubMed, but PubMed is a little bougie. It's a little harder to use. Yeah. Well, it's hard to use, but it doesn't include everything. Google Scholar has a a wider net that it casts. A bit of uh, academia trivia. PubMed is one library, not the library, I guess. That's a good way to say it. Well, I think another important myth to keep in mind is... The idea that for certain drugs, you use it one time and you're like immediately addicted, you're hooked and that you will never be able to stop. That is just not true. <laughs> right. There's So not everyone who uses substances will develop an addiction or develop a substance use disorder. I don't know of evidence on the topic. I'm, I'm, I'm sure some people are trying to figure this out, but there might be social factors. There could even be potentially different biological factors. Um, yeah, I know, there definitely are. Yeah. Like I tried smoking when I was a kid. I don't know. Maybe I had a dozen or so cigarettes at various times when I was younger. I just really didn't like it. And I never felt the way that like my friends were like, oh my gosh, you need to go have a cigarette. And, you know, for me, that just didn't. So there might be some personality differences. It might be social. Also, you have asthma. Yeah. Well, I have <laughs> asthma too, which didn't help. <laughs> right. Um, you know, so right. There could be health reasons why certain people don't do things. Right. So there are a lot of different issues and variables, as you mentioned, at the end of the day, there's a good amount of information that we know, but there's still a lot that we don't know. And folks are, are working to answer some of those questions. Yeah. But we know for a fact that a lot of people, like we talk about the lifetime prevalence is 50%, like one in two Americans has done an illicit substance at one point in their life. And they're not, they're not all like addicted, right? Just from the numbers standpoint, we know that that is just not true. And there are some initial preliminary evidence that say a big part of this is like, do you have a good social system, like social support system, right? If you're fulfilled in other areas of your life, it's less likely that, what's the way to put it? Preliminary evidence that if you're fulfilled in other areas of your life, like if you have a healthy social support system, it is less likely that you get addicted just because it's almost like your brain doesn't see this as like, oh my God, this is my one thing that I can I can really, really grab onto. But at the end of the day, we don't know. And it's just simply not true that one use and you'll be hooked forever. Yeah. So we hope that this is a good introduction to substance use disorder. And hopefully we help 
uh, a lot of you change the language that you're using regarding what substance use and misuse is. And we'll definitely come back in a few episodes about opioids because as of right now, we're still very much in an opioids epidemic. And we'll talk more about that in a future episode. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Everything is Public Health. New episodes are released every Thursday on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Please give us a rating and a review wherever you listen. It helps the show immensely. Send us questions or comments to everythingispublichealth at gmail.com. Reach out if you think we missed an important perspective or suggest a future episode topic. Follow us on Twitter for now at everythingisph or Instagram at everythingispublichealth. You can also find me on Twitter for now at Dr. Krifasi. More information regarding this episode can be found in the show notes below. Listeners, we have a Patreon page that is also our website. Visit the website for all major updates and bonus material. If you want to support the podcast directly, you can support us on our Patreon page as well. You can find a link for that in the episode description below. And remember, everything is public health. Everything is public health.